Hi, welcome to episode nine of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. I'm Greg Anderson. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I will be talking about the continued rally in global commodity prices, the associated sharp uptick in inflation numbers in some countries, and the renewed downdrift in the U.S. dollar. The title for this episode is Inflation and FX Depreciation Spirals. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Well, Greg, it's May 18th, 2021. It's been a little while since we did our last podcast, but I have to say there have been some important moves in commodity indices in between our podcasts. We've hit new highs for the cycle in a number of key commodities, uh, commodity indices, that is. And, you know, in that context, uh, especially with central bank easing still in play and fiscal deficits widening, you kind of have to think to yourself, are we seeing uh, the classic case of too much money chasing too few goods? And is debasement really starting to have an impact in some sense on currencies, on the FX market, but on commodity prices? And I guess... To that picture, we have to talk about the fact that the dollar is drifting lower again. It looks increasingly like it's going to have another leg lower. Is there a link between the inflation picture, the rise in commodity prices, the the fact that there could be too, uh, too much money chasing too few goods in the system? Are we seeing this classic case play out right in front of our eyes? Great tease, Stephen. Nice job dropping the old school economist tagline about inflation being the product of too much money chasing too few goods. That's the explanation from the old textbooks. And those textbooks are the way that you and I, along with the vast majority of market participants, know about the inflation problems from days of yore. Back in the 1970s, there was a fairly severe inflation problem that was described with the line you just used. And it was accompanied by a US dollar devaluation, then the end of Bretton Woods, and then more US dollar depreciation as the decade went on. There are very few policymakers, politicians, or investors left standing who are mature participants in that economy. So I don't think there is much muscle memory in the market regarding inflation spikes and inflation depreciation twin spirals. I happen to live in Peru in the late 1980s and was old enough to sort of feel the power of an inflation depreciation spiral. So I I kind of know that it can bring a lot of turmoil. But hey, that was an emerging market in a long time ago. This couldn't happen now in a big country like the US, right? Well, maybe I'm still carrying some psychological scars, but I'm still a little more leery of one of these spirals than your average American politician. I worry that we're about to find out that accelerating inflation 
and possibly linked dollar depreciation aren't as easy for the Fed to deal with as Chair Powell has said that it is. Greg, I think what you offered there is is just fascinating. And highlighting the 1970s was, a, I think, a great place to go decade-wise. And I'm reminded of the 1970s in Britain, at least the story anyway, uh, and the stubbornly high inflation, which resulted in a balance of payments crisis and a sterling devaluation uh, in 1976. So the other thing I'm looking closely at in this inflationary picture we're talking about is the U.S.'s widening trade deficit. And I guess we have to add that to the conversation about the dollar, right? Wow. You always know how to rile me up into a rant. But before I start going off on the U.S. trade deficit tangent, let's circle back to inflation and talk about the numbers a bit. That uh, 4.2% year-over-year CPI number that we got from the U.S. in April, is that happening in the economies you cover? Actually, Greg, that's a good point. We should just turn to the evidence we've got so far in terms of where CPI inflation readings have been hot and where they've been not so hot and just see where we go from there. So when we look at the raw data from uh, on, on CPI inflation from across the globe, one of the first things that stands out to me uh, are the relatively low inflation readings out of uh, Parts of Asia, uh, India is, of course, as always, one exception, but parts of Asia or most of Asia uh, and parts of Europe. And I'm wondering if maybe we can pin these uh, these readings down to demographics, the banking systems, the relative size of the consumer market in these places, the differing psychologies of businesses and households. So that may be a factor globally and also, for example, within Europe itself, differentiating between Western Europe and uh, countries in Central and Eastern Europe. But then once I finish that kind of brief analysis, I turn to the situation in America's and in the Americas, it seems to me we're getting some really bulky readings in CPI inflation, north of 4% if we go off the CPI in the US, the most recent one, 7% nearly in Brazil, uh, just above 6% in Mexico. Greg, I have to ask you, do you have a story for this? Is, is there something that you think is relevant to those currencies that's related to this inflation data from the Americas? Before going on to what might be making the Americas different, I just want to point out that the most recent total inflation numbers elsewhere are as follows. Um, we've got 0.9% year over year in China, uh, minus 0.2% year over year in Japan, 1.6% year over year in the Eurozone, and just 0.7% year over year in the UK. So uh, assuming that when we get Canada's April CPI number tomorrow, that it comes in above 3% as expected. Um, these 3% plus readings in the Americas really are unique. Great, Greg. So just to repeat my question, do you have a story for that? Maybe. I'll give it my best shot. But let me start by saying that global commodity price rises are global. So if oil goes up 10% in the Americas, it goes up pretty close to the same amount in Asia and in Europe. The same goes for base metals, basic food prices, etc. And I even think the same is true for things like computer chips, which are in short supply globally right now. So what's different in the Americas isn't in the inputs part of the inflation formula. It's in the price making firms do with finished goods prices. They can either absorb higher input costs into narrower margins, and it seems like that is probably what is happening in Asia, 
or they can raise prices and try to pass along higher input costs to the final consumer. That seems to be what is happening in the Americas. I've got a great anecdote on that. In that uh, shocking U.S. CPI number, we had used cars up 10% month over month and 21% year over year. That has got to be used car dealerships uh, that normally operate on very thin margins, by the way, recognizing that they've got pricing power and passing on the higher prices they're paying to acquire vehicles to the end consumer. That just doesn't seem to be happening the same way in Asia, maybe with higher chip prices leading to higher cell phone prices, etc. Why? I'm not sure. Um, Maybe it's just what you talked about, Stephen. Too much money chasing too few goods in the U.S. because a lot of free money has been handed out by the U.S.'s fiscal and monetary policies. So too much money chasing too few goods is at least one possibility, Greg, if I read you right from your comments. I guess this leads me to the next area of exploration, uh, which is the central bank reaction function. In other words, are there potentially issues here that would force a central bank to have to respond and therefore cause a pickup in FX volatility? In my neck of the woods, particularly when I think of uh, the Eurozone, watching how the inflation dynamic plays out and the ECB's ultimate response to it will be fascinating, I think, because there is a really important trade-off that the ECB has to make between causing volatility in the bond market uh, and playing a game of chicken with inflation if it characterizes any uptick in price pressures as transitory. So in my neck of the woods, I have to start with the Fed, which I think uh, other central banks like the BOC have to be careful not to get too far ahead of. So with the Fed, I think we've got a much different reaction function than we've ever had in the past. And I think markets are still struggling to wrap their heads around it. Gone are the days when the Fed chair perceived his job to be taking away the punch bowl just when the party starts getting good. We now seem to be in the days of the Fed doing its best to call everyone in the neighborhood to invite them to the party. And then if they don't want to come, promising them that it won't start talking about talking about winding down the party until late into the night. This could lead to a lot more U.S. dollar depreciation than expected. And then a really sharp U.S. dollar surge at the end when the Fed finally has no other choice other than to end the party because the cops are at the door. Greg, that's a great use of the party analogy. And I think it also serves to highlight a really profound point, which is that the engaging in quasi or partial normalization of, of, of policy while the Fed is keeping the party going is a lot easier for other world central banks to execute when financial conditions are relatively loose, like they are now. And a rapid tightening of Fed policy is not on the immediate horizon. And we've seen some central banks do just that, including the People's Bank of China, which has been engaging in a, in a bit of policy normalization itself. So bringing it back to FX, bringing the conversation back to FX, one thing that is supporting European currencies right now is, of course, the dollar weakness, which we spoke about, but also the fact that investors are becoming more mindful that European bond yields are creeping up again. European bond yields creeping up. Global commodity prices continuing to creep up. The U.S. dollar drifting down. I don't have any further magical insights other than the age-old technician's adage that the trend is your friend, at least until the end when there's a bend. 
Will the inflation spike get so out of control that the Fed calls an end? Maybe, but they're not talking about talking about it right now. So the best thing I've got to say is to remain short U.S. dollars and long commodity currencies like CAD, Aussie, and Kiwi. That's exactly right, Greg. I couldn't agree more. Long things people need and have demand for until the party's over. I think this is a great place to wrap up. Many thanks, as always, to our listeners. Uh, Best of luck, of course, in markets. And we'll be back with our next Global Exchanges podcast on May 25th. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO, including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Incorporated, and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO, who are involved in fixed income and foreign exchange sales and marketing efforts. Accordingly, it should be considered to be a product of the fixed income and foreign exchange businesses generally, and not a research report that reflects the views of disinterested research analysts. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances, or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options, or any other activity which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests in you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranty is made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets in securities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For further information, please go to bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.